Chris, the AMG One. Now, do you remember what you thought when Merck, so they revealed this car back in 2017, lots of fanfare. We're gonna put a Formula One engine in a hypercar that you can drive on road and track. Do you remember your sort of initial thoughts? Just thought it was part of a massive willy-waving exercise between certain brands that wanted to get caught up in a hypercar race. That normally results in great things for people like you and I, because mm. you get super expensive, very, very trick vehicles that, and people are trying to outdo each other. We love a bit of competition, don't yeah. we? That started all the way back with uh, Lamborghini and Ferrari in the 60s, and, and that's continued now. It's like they want to get into tussles. Love that. I always thought, that the idea of taking an engine that had proved to be so difficult to work in a motorsport environment. Don't forget, before the hybrid era of F1, I remember going to watch the test at Estoril with Mercedes-Benz, and one car did half a lap in the first day. That's how difficult these things were. So when they turned up on the grid in Melbourne a month later, and they sort of worked, we were in awe of what engineers could achieve. But it's clear this vehicle was never going to be easy to make, and its, its gestation has been plagued with issues. It's a small world, the automotive world, so I know lots of people that had worked on it or around it. Yeah. And they were already scratching Or suppliers that have been yeah, trying just, to get the gearbox. They were all there thinking, and... this is just a, this is needless. Why are we doing this? And I think they probably regretted. CEOs have come and gone. Well, you know, yeah. it's... But, but I love the fact they persevered. But it, yeah, it was an interesting day. What was the sort of setup? How long did you have in theory, with the car, we had probably. a we had a, a day to make a film. Yeah. Uh, by a day, I'd say you know three hour morning session and a four hour afternoon session. That should yeah. be enough to make a film. Yeah. That's a lot less than we'd normally have on Top Gear. We're, we're very sport children. We normally expect the car to be delivered to our own facility where we can do what we want. And we have a couple of days, but it was very clear that Mercedes AMG was not going to do that. We were going to be bolted into a conventional launch calendar and but be given more than most people. So it was a privilege to go. I didn't think we'd get invited. Mm -hmm. So I, from the top, I have to say, thank you very much for inviting us. They didn't need to. But it, yeah, it didn't go to plan. We, we set it up beautifully. It's a very, very, very complicated car, but it was given to us under the premise that it, it now worked. Come and have a go. I don't, I don't know to this day whether they knew or they suspected that the car might be problematic and they were styling it out, mm -hmm. but it's just some pain they had to go through. Mm -hmm. Or whether they were genuinely shocked that the vehicle had so many issues. But we, we had two cars, both of which had quite big technical issues on the day. And at the end, the shots you saw were shot probably in 45 minutes at the end of the day. And the car had some quite big restrictions in terms of how I could use it, mm -hmm. the way, what mode could be used, the way the aerodynamics were deployed. It was, it was very tricky and I think a humbling experience for all involved. But I think the film was honest. And I think what's clear also is that I love the bravery. I love the ambition. Just the blind stupidity of trying to do that. What, well, would, what would we have to write about as journalists? No, car companies and it was, and it was mad decision. There's something about that engine, a super high revving 1.6 litre engine. Single turbo, but with that is, that's, that's producing that sort of, you know, 1,000 horsepower. Mm. When, you, when you wind it up and it goes to whatever, 10,000 RPM, mm. you do go, Crikey, this is an experience unlike anything else. That's the key thing. You can buy a Valkyrie, you can buy, well, if you're lucky, you can buy all sorts of hypercars. I promise you that the owner of an AMG One, as they're winding up through the gears, there's nothing else that feels like what yeah. they're driving. It's, it's a very, very strange vehicle. And that's what a billionaire is doing, right? They're collecting unique experiences. So they might have a Nevera over there. Oh, you should feel that thing. Yeah. Oh. And history has a way of celebrating heroic failures. You know, a lot of the cars that we now revere 
were rubbish when they were new, yeah. and we forget how rubbish they were. The 964 RS is a great example. It's a car that's now worth £300,000, the great lightweight Porsche of the early 90s. Go and read the first reviews of that car when it came out. Everyone went, why have they, made the, why have they ruined the 964? But now everyone thinks they're great. I can give you so many... Because it's got character and foibles. And... Well, exactly. So, But I think this will be one, and they're not making many of them. Yeah. The F50 when it came out. The F50 was, oh, God, the F40 was greater. The McLaren F1 is far better. The F50 was almost forgotten about at the time. Now, after the McLaren F1, the most valuable production car you can buy on the planet because they built so few of them. And they're not making many of these either. Yeah. I mean, they do need to make it work. <laughs> it's the naked ambition of trying to make a Formula 1 engine work on the road. And, and the number of times you imagine that the people trying to make that engine work were yeah. saying, who the hell said we should do this? Yeah. What moron said we should yeah, do this? Midnight on a Friday night and they're still scratching their heads And Of course, the it. irony is they're now releasing cars with not not much power, less power, yeah. that can do 20,000 miles in service intervals. They could probably have any, any 10 other solutions to produce even more power than that engine and bolt it into that car, but they didn't. And it has a Formula One engine on the road. <laughs> it's That's a bonkers exercise, but it did work. So once you figured it out, you got it in, what, what was the name of the mode? The sort of full everything on oh, no. quali lap. Das silly bastard mode. Das silly it, bastard mode. It, it, you, you wind it up on, on the track. The thing that you need to know is that the gear shift is very slow. Mm. So the point, it feels like an original F1 transmission to Ferrari where you go, mmm, one Mississippi, two, mmm, and, and things have become so quick and instant now. That was yeah. my initial reaction was, what have they done here? Yeah. So, so I don't see how anyone taller than me would fit in it. The seating position is really weird. You need 19 people to get it to work when it wants to work. And then I got in it and thought the gearbox isn't working properly. But I had this, something in my head was reluctant to make that observation and criticise it. And this is why you should listen to people with big foreheads who've got white coats on. Because I said, what's wrong with the gearbox? The gear shift is so slow. Is it in sort of a limp home mode? And he went, no, that's how slow the gear shift is. And I went, well, why have we done that? And he said, well, because we've got so much electricity being produced that we need to get rid of, mm. that we fill the gear changes with electric, yeah. with electric torque, so you're still going forwards. So that's why your brain says this doesn't sound right, but I'm still accelerating. That's so once clever. you're accelerating, it's just... So the slow, you don't need a, they don't need a fast gear change, because yeah. they, they, they plug it with torque. Yeah. So your brain's going, well, this is... So it's a bit, I don't know how to describe it. It's like something that's really raucous and, and full on, but it's calming at the same time. Yeah. It's a strange experience. A bit like the Lamborghini Shan. They basically, it was an event It's, exa it's exactly the same um, strategy, yeah. but, the, but the hybrid system in the, in the AMG1 is producing so much more electricity because it's so efficient, mm -hmm. that, and they can't just get rid of it. It's, you can't have a blow-off valve like in a turbocharger. So you've got extra electricity, and it manifests itself in two different ways. One, they fill the, they fill the gaps between the gears, and the other one is, if they've got too much electric, if you're at any phase on the racetrack doing a lap, they'll suddenly cut the ICE, the engine, and use electricity. But this can happen in a braking zone. Yep. So when that happened to me, I had a full code brown. So I'm fully braking hard into T1 at Nürburgring, which is downhill. So you go over the crest, you pick your braking spot, you always know where it is on the right-hand side, bang, I'm braking now, and the engine just stops. And you think you're going and you, straight on. And we think I'm going straight on. Yeah. But then the, the man with the massive forehead, his German goes, oh yes, we are just getting rid of some electricity. I'm thinking, couldn't you do it a way that makes me not sore myself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a whole new thing. And, and do you know what? We spend all of our time dealing with perfection. Sometimes things have to go wrong, and sometimes yeah. a TV show has to tell you what it's about. All right, just one final point then on AMG1, Chris. The noise. The noise is an issue. The, uh, when the car ran at Goodwood the month before, it was, it was running with the Valkyrie. Valkyrie, normally aspirated V12, open yeah. pipes. Everyone said, best sounding car ever. Everyone whinged about the AMG1 whispering its way up the hill because it's turbocharged and doesn't make much noise. When you're in it, it's... It's the noisiest thing I've ever sat in. Had to have earplugs in, felt quite really? ill. It's, so, it's an incredibly mechanical, very noisy car. 
quite unpleasant when it's... It's an interesting sound. Yeah. It's not like anything else. But I've not... If, uh, that's the modern way for me. Don't annoy people outside the car. Oh, yeah. Enjoy it inside the car. Singer DLS, GT4 RS. But I did, I did have a moment where I looked right and they've, they've fitted an, you know, a full Mercedes suite of telephone and hi-fi. Useless. You, will n you can't use them. Even at idle, you can't hear the hi-fi when it's up loudest. There we go. Top tip. There you go. Don't, Don't use your radio. bother using your <laughs> go radio. Go for the radio delete option. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Top Gear Magazine podcast. Hope you enjoyed that. And don't forget to subscribe, to leave us a review, to leave us a star rating. But also check out what is in the rest of the feed because as well as interviews, we've got our monthly uh, behind the curtain look into the issues that we make. And also there's some new audio tidbits coming. So like Jet says, subscribe. Subscribe.